The fantasy genre is vast, complex, and has existed for time immemorial. It is a way to escape the drudgery of everyday life, but also a method humanity uses to examine itself in interesting, boundary-shattering ways. We are fascinated with the heights of glory we can rise to, with the depths of depravity in which we sometimes fall. Fantasy gives us an opportunity to reflect on these themes, and let's face it, it's also just plain old fun. Join us weekly on Fridays for the Fantasy in General podcast, where we discuss all things fantasy in general. Thank you so much, and enjoy the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Fantasy in General. Welcome, welcome. We are a full year and one week old. I know. It's crazy. Just a little crying infant. If we weren't before, we are officially bingeable now. I know. I think so. I get, yeah, you know, when when podcasts don't have enough to binge, it turns me off sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're there. We are there. We got over 50 episodes. You can go and do all kinds of crazy shenanigans. There's a, there's a select few podcasts that I actually am wait like every week for, and I listen on the day it releases every week. Yeah, me too. There's a couple that I do that with. Yeah, but not a lot. If I'm not going to binge it, not worth it. No, agreed. One of those I'm trying to get you to listen to because I think you'll really enjoy it. Old Gods of Appalachia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I need to. Usually my podcasts uh, really just focus on true crime. So. Fair enough. True crime is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Have you watched the new. You watched the Ted Bundy tapes, Confessions of a Killer, right? On Netflix when it came out. Yeah. Have you watched the John Wayne Gacy one? No, because that guy's. That guy's crazy. He's super creepy. That's really I mean, not that Ted Bundy's not. No, but you know, but this guy's super different level, you know, agreed. He took it to another level there. So, and I, I mean, uh, when the result, when the end result is murder, is there another yeah. level to take it to? Oh, I think so. <laughs> oh, okay. I definitely think that, I mean, yes, murder, but I mean, there's different. the uh, he, yeah, I got, I will say this because I've watched both because obviously I'm in law enforcement and I enjoy, well, I don't enjoy, I guess, uh, what's the way to say Well, that? it's interesting. It's, it's interesting, interesting to, to learn about this stuff. Yes. To, to learn about a human mind that is so foreign, you know? Yes. Completely foreign. Yeah. Agreed. And so I've watched both the Bundy and the John Wayne Gacy one. And I will tell you, I will say that the John Wayne Gacy one gave me more creepy crawly really? feelings. Yeah, I just don't. Bundy. Uh, the the thing with the bunny one, like I just don't like hearing their voice. You know. Yeah. I don't like that at all. Because then it makes it real. You know what I mean? I mean, it was real. For no, a lot of I people. know, but. Uh, it just connects it to a real person. Then you said like, that's their real voice. That's. That's true. Instead of just hearing a story about some random dude, you're like, Oh, 
that's the guy. Yeah, you can kind of like disassociate from it. But sure. When there's a voice, you cannot do that. Mm-hmm. And usually they're just like the creepiest voice. Which, which I think is why, I don't know if you've, if you've heard of this, but there's sort of a subset of true crime called Ripperology. No. And it's all about Jack the Ripper. Okay. There are people who are fascinated with Jack the Ripper. Wow, yeah. And, and studying him and stuff like that. But I think you make a good point because that happened in the late 1800s. Nobody, I mean, at, first of all, we don't 100% know who Jack the Ripper yeah. was, but you don't have to hear his voice. You don't see pictures Ooh, of him. Yeah, in, that's in what makes it video so sensational, you know? Yeah. So exciting. But you get, even if you get a face, that's one thing. But man, you get a voice. Mm. Ugh. <laughs> it's a whole different level. No, um, what was I going to say? Oh, because you're talking about Jack the Ripper. I also, I do not like cold cases. I don't like listening to this. Because they're unsolved? Yeah. Because like, there's somebody out there then, you know? Yeah. It's creepy. It makes me a lot more skittish in my own home. I get it. Like, like they never caught the Zodiac. What? Like they never, the Zodiac, the Zodiac killer. Yeah. In the Bay Area, they never caught him. And there were like so many taunting things. It wasn't like he was just under the radar the whole time. No, he was the radar, you know? Yeah. And he was outsmarting people. Yeah. But no, never my caught. husband will come around the corner sometimes and I'll, <gasps> He's like, I live here. You oh, know you're one I'm... of those? Oh, yes. Oh, man. Where your own husband rounds the corner and you freak out like, oh, I thought I was by myself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Very skittish human being. Oh, okay. But I'm always, well, no, because he comes up behind me very easily. So I don't think that I've learned really to be on alert, you know? Is he that stealthy? Like, he's that quiet? No, not even. I'm just not that intelligent or aware you're not that aware oh yeah, I'm not that aware. <laughs> people will not i i will tell you this you are much less likely to get messed with by anybody if they can tell that you are aware of your surroundings because they're like uh-uh that person's paying attention don't want to mess with them they want the people who are oblivious yeah so i was that person that would run like in the early morning hours when it was still dark outside with both of my earbuds in <laughs> So how I'm still here today, I don't know. Why do you wake up that early to run? Oh, I, guess oh, I don't anymore. I don't anymore. No, thank you. But I guess you do that in the summer maybe to beat the heat before it's like yeah. 95 degrees. Yeah. I mean, it's still a solid 80 at 4 a.m. But, you know. That's you way better than 95 or 100. That's true. That's better than 95 with the sun beating down on you. But the worst is when you, I, I think it was last year, I was still running a lot last year and I would open the door and you expect to be refreshed when you open the door and it's just so much worse yeah. in, in the early morning. You're like, let me back in. Let me back it's in. It's so discouraging. <laughs> yeah. Like you get out of bed, you get your shoes on. You're like, okay, I'm pumping myself up. Then that hits you like a brick wall. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-mm. Do you run that much anymore? No, I don't. Oh. I don't know the last time that I ran. Really? Yeah. 
because I was going to ask you what your current mix is, because you and I used to run together a number of years ago. Oh, and yeah. uh, the mix was Imagine Dragons. Yeah. See, here's the problem, too, is I'll still listen to true crime as I run. You know, oh, you don't listen to music. No, I probably should. It probably get me pumped a little bit more. Does the true crime motivate you more to like run away from the bad guy? No, it makes me more scared. (laughs) I'll like run by some hedges and be like eyeing them. Like somebody's going to pop out at me. Oh, they're hiding in there. Yeah. 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 Uh, No, I just, I bike a lot now. So. So you listen to true crime while you bike? Well, no, I do it on like the the Peloton. So I listen to my, the instructor yelling at me most of the time. Okay. But nice and air conditioned and not suffering exactly. through sweltering heat. Exactly. You know, yeah. what are you going to do? What Does do the guy do? yell at you or the girl, whoever the instructor is, yell at you? Uh, in like a motivational way. You could do this. Pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. And I like not to like take... you're the scum of the earth. Oh, no, no. Because then I wouldn't take them for that. <laughs> like uh, the the one that I like the most, she... Right before you like start a climb or a push or something, she tells you to straighten your crown because you're royalty and then get up and go for it. I'm like, yeah, girl, I am. I am, girl. You're right. <laughs> I got you. Now I can do this. <laughs> and it's really silly because it does pump me up. <laughs> she knows. She knows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, have you been running at all? No. Why not? It's beautiful, right? It is beautiful, but the elevation is much higher here. I'm still getting accustomed to it. I think still getting accustomed to walking. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna use that as an excuse for the next year. Oh, okay. I'm getting used to the elevation. I wonder how long it actually takes one to get used to the elevation. I don't know. I've heard people say a couple of weeks. I've heard people say a month. So I don't know. That's a good question. So definitely not a year, though. Well, I'm gonna claim it. Oh, okay, okay. Got it. Got it. Uh, I just don't like running to run, you know? You don't? No. Oh. What kind of exercise do you like? I like resistance Well, training. I guess if you like exercise, you don't have to like exercise, I guess. <laughs> but you like lifting? Lifting, yeah. Or even doing body weight stuff like pull-ups and stuff like that. That's oh, the type man. of stuff pull-ups. I like. I can't do stuff like that. I can't do pull-ups or push-ups. Can't do it. You can do, you You are way better at push-ups than you used to be. When I first met you, you could not even do one push-up. That's true. That's but true. now you are way better than that. Very could true. You pop, could you pop out 15? Uh, yeah, I think I could. Usually yeah, when I'm doing like a program, I, I do, uh, I drop to my knees and do push-ups instead of just to keep good form and do a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how many like full, full plank push-ups I could do. Yeah. I bet I could do 15 if I try. I bet you could do more than you think you could. That's true. If you had your Peloton trainer. Yeah. Know. I got to straighten my crown, you know, straighten your crown. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, so we are a year old now. Yes. Sorry. We went on a tangent. No. Well, with that, I was going to say, uh, we got a new logo Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty stoked about it. I am too. Some people might 
think it looks very similar to our previous one. And I no, guess it does, but it it's does. an updated one. Well, that's the thing. You and I both agreed that we like our logo. Love it. It just needed a fresh take, you know? Agreed. Mm-hmm. And so our uh, social media manager got on that and sent us some, what do you call them? Mock-ups. Mock-ups. Sure. We did some tweaks and yeah, I love it though. I do too. I feel like the font is way more fantastical. Yeah. And I like the deep, rich purple color. Yeah. The color is awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's very similar, but it pops more. I think. I think you may be right. Yeah. So super exciting for that. Mm -hmm. Um, which is what's going to what it's what you will get on our merch now, right? If you order yes. merch. Yes, I uploaded the new design today. So okay. uh, you can get merch with the new logo now. There's t-shirts, mugs, tumblers, pillows, even. baby onesies. Baby onesies. You could get t-shirt, baseball tee, hoodies. Uh, which I think I'm going to get. I think I might get a hoodie or something. Really? Maybe a crew neck. I'm not a fan of hoodies. Maybe I'll get a crew neck. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever really seen you. I mean, I'm sure I've seen you wear a hoodie, but it's not a common occurrence. No, I'm more of a fan of a crew neck because here's the thing. I don't like when the hood pulls back and then it chokes you. So I'm very (laughs) sensitive in that way. (laughs) Okay. I just don't Does like this that. happen often to you. I uh, I don't know. Cause I haven't worn a hoodie in years. Probably. When you say crew neck, you mean like your standard sort of sweatshirt? Yes. Yeah. Without a hood. Okay. Yes, Without a hood. Yeah. Yeah. I see you wear those all the, all time. the time. All the time. Yeah. I have a select few. I, I have a select few that I like. So if you, if anybody sees me in the winter time, I will be in. One of two crew necks <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. But new logo, yeah. new merch. Very exciting. Over yeah, check it out. Tpublic.com. Uh, and then Alec, one of our figgies, messaged us over on Instagram. Yes. Yeah, he did uh, a little bit ago. And he sent us a photo of uh the he bought the chronicles of narnia yes yeah and he said thanks for inspiring me to really get into the narnia universe i'd only seen the movies but loved it now to get now really no sorry now to really get into this super excited for that because the books are fantastic and that's what it's i mean that's what it's all about we're we're encouraging people to go on these journeys. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason that the Chronicles of Narnia has endured for almost a hundred years. Yes. It's oh, pretty gosh. awesome. Almost a hundred years. That makes me feel so old. <laughs> I mean, I'm not almost a hundred, but you know what I mean? No. Oh yeah. No, I get you. Uh, but it makes I think- me excited like for a potential next chapter by chapter. Like it's getting me stoked about Narnia. No, absolutely. And I think the uh, the movies, I think, stop at Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Um, 
Yes. And yeah. There's so yeah. much more Narnia to so experience. Yeah. I wish they would have done the first one, you know? Well, the way they did it is, and I, I don't blame them for this. Disney started with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which was is the most, most well-known. Yeah, yeah. And so that's how they started the whole thing and then went on. So they did it in the order that the books were released, not in chronological order. Oh, they did? Yeah, because Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was first. Yeah. Chronologically, it would be The Magician's Nephew, right? Yeah. And then L. Dubs Dubs. L dubs dubs, yeah, classic. But Disney went L dubs dubs, Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Okay. Whereas in the books, it would be Magician's I Nephew. I thought that they did uh, Voyage Second. No, they did Prince Caspian. Oh, they did? See, I've never uh-huh. seen Prince Caspian. You know, I thought it was pretty good. Reaper Chief oh, really? is in it. I like Reaper Chief. He's I, one of my yeah, favorites. he's awesome. I don't know. No, I have seen Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I have. I just don't remember it that much. But chronologically, like we've been reading, Magician's Nephew, L. Dubs Dubs, then Horse and His Boy, right? Horse and His Boy. Then Favorite. Prince Caspian. Favorite. Horse yes. That reminds me of our vampire. Yes. Vampire episode. Oh, so stupid. It was our, a good episode, oh, but yeah, it's crazy because oh, it is our, our best most, episodes. It is our most popular episode. Yeah. If for some reason this, you haven't listened to it. Um, it is one of our most popular episodes. I'm trying to scroll back to see when it was. Um, it's called it during Fright Fest. Horse and His Boy. Okay. Episode 19, September 30th. We started Fright. Well, that's when we recorded, right? No, it it, uh, October? No, it, it released September 30th. Oh, we released Fright Fest a little early, huh? Okay. Yeah, I guess so. We were just excited. But yeah, that's one of our highest. Yeah, 160 plays. <laughs> uh, so, oh, it is our highest. Oh, that's our highest episode. Mm-hmm. Wow. There you go. So if you haven't listened to it, go for it now. A horse and his boy. Because apparently it's a great one. <laughs> um, maybe I'll listen to it. It's it's funny. I should I should go back and listen. I should binge our podcast because you know, we get done recording and we post, and I don't even remember half the things that we talk about because it just oh, goes by so fast. I don't even know. You have a plan in your head and then it goes elsewhere, you know? Then we go on tangents and yes. yeah, everything changes. So many tangents, so many tangents. Um, but yeah, so Alec, thank you for buying those books and sharing with us because uh, I'm inspired now. Because I was yes. reading, I was reading through them and then I stopped. Um, where did I get to? I think I got to Voyage. I think I was in the middle of Voyage. So chronologically, the fifth book. Yeah. Yeah. So. But anyway, okay. Something else that I wanted to talk to you about that a figgy, let me know that I completely forgot about. Okay. So we're from Bakersfield, California. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have Cal State Bakersfield. Correct. Here. Okay. Or California State University Bakersfield. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
the dorms there, you probably know this. I do know this. Yes. I completely forgot about this. We're named after places or yeah, no places. In Middle Earth. In in Middle Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're not. Now they're named stupid things. They changed the old ones? Yeah, to like juniper and like like tree names. I guess. Are you, really? Yes. Because on camp, because I went there. That's where I went mm-hmm. to college for my did, undergraduate. Did you live on campus? Negative. Oh. Because okay. I lived in Bakersfield. So I just, I just. Commuted. I didn't know. I Because you used to live like outside of Bakersfield. So I didn't know if you still live. No, there. that was before college. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, they used to be. So they were older, old dorms on the west side of the campus. Yeah. And then on the east side of the campus, they built new dorm buildings. Mm-hmm. And so, but the old ones when I was there still were, uh, yeah, one was called Entwood. Yeah. One was called Lorian. Let's see if you, let's see if you could get them all. There's six of them. Okay. So Entwood. Lorian. Yep. Lorian. Rivendell. Yep. Um, the Shire? Nope. Oh man, I would live there in a heartbeat right now. Rohan. Yes. Uh, Gondor. Not no. But not Gondor. But the people of Gondor came from here. Oh, um, Numenor. Yes. One more. Uh, how many do I have? I have one more left to go. One more. Yep. Uh, Arnor. No, I don't think you'll get this. Starts with a D. A D? Yeah. Duns Dunsbrick? Nope. Dunedain. That's no. not a place to people. <laughs> um I won't get this. What is it? Dobry? Oh. You know, I don't know. I'm not really sure. How do you spell it? D-O-B-R-Y. Looking it up now. D-O-B-R-Y. Uh, yeah, nobody says. I'm trying to look it up and nobody has an answer. So I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. D-O-B-R-Y? Yeah. That's kind of weird. I wonder if that's true or if somebody just put that in there to throw everybody off. Yeah, because so far I'm not seeing... I'm not seeing anything. And that does not sound like something from Middle Earth. So this is according to reddit.com. Mm-hmm. Uh. Years ago, the old dorms on the college campus where I worked, maybe it was at CSUB, I don't know yeah. who this guy is, uh, named after locations in the Lord of the Rings. There was Rivendell, Rohan, Entwood, Numenor, Dobry, and Lorien. So it must no, be It has CSUB. to be, yeah. But a question has come up about Dobry. Apparently no one can find this place in any of the books. Now it's a big mystery, and I thought someone here might help us solve it. Perhaps Ooh. it was another J.R.R. Tolkien reference. Any ideas? Um, and this one says, this is considered the best answer. I wasn't able to find Dobry, 
in the Middle Earth wiki. Yeah. But if you search for college name plus Dobri plus donor, which is very complicated. Okay. Uh, you can probably source another likely possibility. I don't know. It's crazy. So no answer. No answer to that. Maybe huh. it was somebody who paid to have the building built. Yeah, I guess, because that doesn't make any sense. I know I read that one last and I was like, where is that? That 0% rang a bell to me. So, yeah. So, Dobby, <laughs> it's close to Dobby. Yeah, maybe. Harry Potter. There you go. Just throw that in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Throw it in there. Um, well, anything else new? I don't think so. Watching anything? Um, I am watching something. Um, it is not fantasy, but it's oh. Peaky Blinders. Oh, I've heard of that. Is that good? So far, it's really good. What's it on? Netflix. Okay. okay. It's a Netflix original series. Okay. How many uh, seasons are there? Five right now. Later this month, they are releasing the sixth and final season. Oh, okay. I was about to say, I heard that it was either done or going to be done or something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's it about? Uh, about a street gang oh, in okay. uh, a town in England. Okay. Um, I'm blanking on the town. It's not London. It's another one. A uh, real but one, I, though? Huh? A real one in real life? It's a real town. Oh, I don't know. I don't think the Peaky Blinders are real. No, no, but like the yeah, it's real. Okay. Yes. Okay, and it's pretty good. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed it so far. Okay, all right. For figgies only, not for figlets. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. No endorsement there. Mm -mm. Okay. Um, I. What about you? I started Stranger Things. Okay. Uh, not cool. I've heard uh, from other sources that we know that uh, you can't handle it this season. Yeah, I can't do it. It's too scary. Skittish. You know what? It's okay. I have to reel it back for a second because we just discussed how Stranger Things, you know, the first season felt kind of horror and then it got more sci-fi. No, this is straight up horror. (laughs) Okay. It's not okay. It's not. Okay. It's not cool. And um, there was a little bit of betrayal that happened on my end. Mm-hmm. Not, not really, I guess. So my husband and I always watch Stranger Things together. Okay, uh, we watched the first episode, and I was not happy. I was really upset that they betrayed me. That I would need help falling asleep that night. That I would need to sleep with the light on. I felt personally attacked, you know? And so he told me, he said, okay, well, you go, you go to bed before me, uh, so that you could just fall asleep easily. And you know that I'm out here and then I'll just come in later, you know? And so I said, okay, thank you, whatever. So then he texted your wife and said, Kelsey doesn't want to watch Stranger Things. Let's watch it together. I feel automatically kicked out. Well, like, because our, you don't have the courage. No, I don't. No. And they both like, 
scary things. So that's the thing. Whenever it's something scary, I'm like, no, you can go watch it with somebody else. So. I enjoy scary things. What I don't like are. There's some movies that are just sort of slasher horror flicks, you know? Yeah. Where I'm like, I don't, I personally do not enjoy just horrifying violence just for the sake of having horrifying violence. Oh, yeah. Same, same. I want something like to be, I want a decent story. I don't need to see somebody get cut up just to see somebody get cut up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I don't like that either. This was definitely, I don't even know how to explain it. It just didn't even feel like Stranger Things. So It's just scary. Yeah, it was just scary, especially for me being so skittish. Now I can't even walk down the hall, so I have to close, have to close all my blinds at night, you know? Is talking about this going to make it difficult for you to fall asleep tonight? Uh, no. I'll probably sleep with the hall light on or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> the light does keep away bad things. Yes, it does. It's proven. That's been proven. Scientific. So, yeah. Uh, I also have been watching Obi-Wan. Real treat. I'm sure you think it is. Have you watched it yet? You are the world's greatest Ewan McGregor fan. Well, no, here's the thing. Okay, you're going to enjoy this. And I want, okay, I want to preface this by saying I am not backtracking in any way. Okay? I'm not okay. backtracking in any way. What's about to come out of your mouth? Um, I mean, this isn't a surprise because this happens in the second episode. So a certain villain is prominent in this. Okay. Um, and I previously had said that he would lose against another prominent villain. And the villain would lose against another villain. Yes. Okay. Um, and I, you know, in Obi-Wan, I got a chance to really take a deeper look and realize how ruthless this person actually is okay and do you know who i'm talking about i'm assuming i do yeah who am i talking about do do you want me to do spoilers if i guess it right well i guess not that's true no spoilers gosh still too early i guess the third episode like just came out while recording this so I, I just have to say, I'm not backtracking. I still stand by what I say, but I, Oh, 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 I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So I, I still stand by what I say, but I'm, I have a different view of this person now. Because that person is incredible. I didn't know that he was that ruthless, I guess. And powerful. I didn't know. How could you not know? I think it has to do with we're like being watching... really, we're being so vague. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, if, so people, if people listen to this and they know exactly what we're talking about. Um, when I watched the original trilogy, I was very, very young and it was kind of like, oh, he's a villain, you know, whatever. Uh, this took it to another level. So 
is there any at any point where you would backtrack and retract your opinion or are you just going to be stubborn even if it's I don't clear? know I don't know now I don't know he's really full of hate so I think we had a figlet that got a uh, sweatshirt for this he did yeah he did. okay then we're on the same track. he agreed with me <laughs> so <laughs> yep yeah so anyway, that's all that I have to say about that so far. It really is a very good series. Um, I need to watch it. Haven't watched it yet because I've been no, in the Peaky Blinders. Yeah, no, I think it's super good. I think that it's interesting just on the timeline of where it happens. Um, makes it super interesting to watch. So lots of people you know, some people you don't. But does it is it clear if it's so it's obviously after episode three before episode four? Yes. But yeah. is it clear whether or not it is before after? Well, no, it would have to be before. Never mind. I was going to say, is it clear that it's before or after the events of Rogue One? But it would have to be before. No, it's for sure before because Luke is a kid. Because Rogue One leads directly into a new hope. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is like, and this isn't a surprise. You learn this very quickly. Uh, this is Obi-Wan's task of keeping Luke safe mm -hmm. pretty much from a distance, I guess. Right. So he's a kid. He's like seven, maybe at this point, is he known as Ben Kenobi yet? Yes. Yeah. He strictly goes by Ben. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So I think that you'll like it a lot. Okay. Sony, you got to watch it. So it's not, so Disney plus is doing justice to the story in your opinion, because I think they've failed a lot recently with star Wars and Marvel. Star Wars, you think? Um, I mean, Disney has, I mean, I, I do not like episode seven, eight, nine. Oh Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's better what than that. Like, is it more along the lines of, cause I love the Mandalorian. So you think it's more maybe along that yes. line? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Did you like book of Boba Fett? Did you watch it? Dang it. I haven't watched it yet. I need to. Oh, okay. Is it good or no? Watched, I only watched the first two episodes. It didn't grab you? No, not really. Mm -mm. Okay. I don't think that's for... interesting enough. Oh, interesting. Okay. For the sake of the podcast, maybe I need to try to watch it. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, I have all the time in the world now that it's summer. So, but everything that I had heard about the book of Boba Fett from you and from others is that because the Mandalorian, like we've talked about, moves a little slower. It's a slow burn. It's yeah. not just not a complete action thing, but people still love it. Yeah. And so I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, the book of Boba Fett's not that good. It's not. Yeah, as good as no, that. it's it's slow and um, not as intriguing, I guess. Mm -hmm. Almost. So maybe I need to give it another try. I don't know. We are supposed to have another season of The Mandalorian, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's supposed to be another one. I'm pretty positive. I love the music. Me too. That's a good score. Very good. Um, but yeah, that's about it for me. I think, I think that's it for me too. Yeah. I think this was a long intro. 
this is a much longer than I was anticipating. Now that we're now that we're on Zoom, um, unless I like look at the clock before we start, I have no idea how long. Yeah, I was looking yeah. at our Zoom window, and there's like no clock on. Yeah, here. I have yeah. No, I have no idea how long we've been recording, but it feels. So like maybe this could long. be a three-hour episode. We don't yeah, know, but. perhaps. So, all right. Well, with that, uh, you want to go to quotes and boats? Let's quote it and boat it. All right. Ahoy, matey. Oh, Quotes and boats with Kelson Bob. All right, and welcome back to quotes and boats with me and me. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> All right, you ready for this? Yes. Okay. Quote. But very quickly, they all became grave again. For, as you know, there is a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you serious. It is too good to waste on jokes. This sounds like mm -hmm. something from the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, how'd you know that? Are you being serious? Yeah. Are you being a brat? No. It's just, it sounded very Lewisian, very C.S. Lewisian. You're good. Uh, I'm going to say uh -oh. L. Dubs Dubs. No. No? Mm -mm. Bugger. Um, can you say it one more time? Yes. But very quickly, they all became grave again. For as you know, there is a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you serious. It is too good to waste on jokes. Is it from Prince Caspian? It is. Thank you. Dang. Okay. I see you. <laughs> I mean, it took me the second guess. I had seven options, but. Well, that, no, that was good. All right. Yeah, it sounded very, very C.S. Lewis. Yeah, that's true. You know your authors well. The ones that I like. Yeah. And I do like C.S. Lewis. I'm just really stoked about Narnia right now. Yeah. Is that from when they um, first get back to Narnia? I don't know. The Pevensey siblings? Um, I don't know. Let me see. Mm, I don't know. And because in Prince Caspian, they get swept back into Narnia at the train station. That's right. Yeah. They're like waiting at the train. And they're kind of they're. I think they're simultaneously happy to be back, but also, holy smokes, a long time has passed. This yeah, is that's not true. the Narnia we knew. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Because they, they got to care Paravel and it wasn't even. It was a ruin. Yeah, it wasn't even anything anymore. It was overgrown. Like, like how many years had passed? Hundreds at least. I mean, it had to have been hundreds, right? It maybe at least hundreds. Yeah, yeah. maybe a thousand. I don't yeah. know. Well, because the stories of them, everybody like thought that they were ages ago. You know, of them being yeah, kings they were ancient and, kings yeah. and queens of Narnia. Yeah. Well, and the the stories of the talking animals that was just all folklore, really. Yeah, because yeah, most after the Telmarines took over, mm -hmm. um, 
talking animals basically went into hiding. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. Such a good book. Good book. Very good book. Very good series. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Go ahead. Boat. You ready to be boated? Ahoy matey. I guess. <laughs> Whatever, wherever that came from. So this is loosely nautical. Oh, okay. Loosely. Well, then it's not my fault if I don't get it. We'll just. And I can give you a hint. Oh, okay. If if you get stuck, if, you may get it right away because you yeah. are you're as clever as Count Olaf. Oh, so well, that's you... not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you'll get this. Okay. Well, I guess that is a compliment. Just you know. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it is a riddle, mm-hmm. and it says. I only exist when you are here. Where you never were, I can never be. What am I? Shadow. You're very close. Oh, really? Echo. No. Further. Dang it. Think of sight. You can see a shadow. You can't see an echo. You can also see... A or your your reflection. Yes. Check me out. I know. Why is, is high that, five. why is that uh loosely based on because you can see your reflection in water? <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Mulan Mulan tells us that. Oh, gosh. Okay, sing it for us. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Come on, Christina. Something my reflection. Something. And I don't know the rest. <laughs> you sing it. No, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, I am God. not Christina Aguilera by any well, means. No, nor am I. <laughs> uh. When will my reflection? No, I'm getting like the tune of that and something from the Prince of Egypt mixed up right now in my head. So, <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, for the miracle, I send the pestilence and plague. I no, the- not that. The there can be miracles. Oh, when, when you believe. When you believe. Dang. Yes. That is a great soundtrack. Agreed. I saw a me- meme a while ago. It's still one of my favorite. Or it, it was like a meme, but then like a Reddit thread or something that was like, what movie soundtrack slapped harder than it had any business doing? And somebody was like, hands down, Prince of Egypt. <laughs> that is a, that is a, it's a so hard hitting soundtrack. It's so true, though. Like, yes. I mean, it's a great movie, but that soundtrack is on point and it had no business being so on point, but it is, you know? Yeah, it's one of my favorite animated films. I mean, it's good. But then I, then I read up on why, because it was the first DreamWorks film, correct? Was it? Or one of the first or something like somebody left Disney and created DreamWorks. And they had to slap hard, you know? And, well, it was also a Steven Spielberg production. 
Oh, really? He didn't direct it, but he was one of the producers. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, there you go. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I think Steven Spielberg started DreamWorks. I'm sorry. Ants was the first DreamWorks animation. <laughs> Ants was? Okay. That movie is so bizarre. But I think Steven Spielberg founded or co-founded DreamWorks. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So when did Ants... Well, now I'm curious. And then, of course, DreamWorks became very popular and famous for the Shrek series and the Kung yeah. Fu Panda series. Shrek is great. I really like Kung Fu Panda, too. Um, I don't feel like I've paid attention to it enough. Oh, Prince of Egypt, Egypt came out, like, right after Ants. Ants, okay. Ants came out in October. And Prince of Egypt came out in December of that year. That was a star-studded cast on Prince of Egypt. Al Kilmer did the voice of Moses. Yeah. I mean, that and was really good. Rafe Fiennes did the voice of Ramesses, the pharaoh. And Jeff Goldblum. He's a bad guy, and he just doesn't look like a bad guy, you know? I know, but he does a good job. No, he does. And Jeff Goldblum was Moses' brother, Aaron. Are you serious? Yes. And I Sandra watched this with that in mind. And Sandra Bullock did the voice of Moses' sister, Miriam. See, even the cast, that slapped too hard. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's a good movie. No, I know it is, but you just don't expect it. Like, it's just kind of out of nowhere, you know? Because what happens is Steven Spielberg picks up the phone and goes, hey, yeah, you want to be in a cartoon that I'm doing? And you go, you're Steven Spielberg, so yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No, I mean, but same for Ants. That had a good cast. Did it? I, I've never seen Ants. You've never seen Ants? I mean, I guess it's a good, I think it gets good Rotten Tomatoes. Let me see. I think we looked this up not too long ago. Um, let me see. Ants. Yep. Woody Allen, Sharon Stone, Gene Hackman. 90, oh, wow. 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Yes. Because people often compare Ants with Bugs Life. Ants is I think they came around, around the edges. Yeah, I think they came around at a similar... I think they were released at a similar time. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, they were competing for sure. Uh, and Egypt got 80%. 80? Mm-hmm. Needs to be higher. It does. Audience score 91. Oh, see, there you go. That's more like it. The end. Way to go, audience. The end. Dang. Great. I send my fire. I sing the Lord, the save the Lord. Is that from Prince of Egypt? It is. Oh. You who I call brother. <laughs> How is it you've come to hate me so? Should is we just have a full episode where we have the script and we just go for it? <laughs> I would love that. Soundtrack and all? <laughs> yeah, we'll sing it. Because we do something like that. Well, we pretend like we're going to do something like that almost every holiday where we act out a musical, but it doesn't really happen. Yeah. Every time we have, because we always have like a bake day around Christmas time, 
And uh, that usually ends up being a, we're baking cookies, but also singing uh, Les Miserables. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you are always, uh, um, Javert. Javert. Yeah. And you're Jean Valjean. I'm Jean Valjean slash anybody who I feel like singing as well. So yeah, sometimes you just take over and like drown people out. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, you're not doing well enough. So please step aside. I got this. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. So many tangents. Oh yes. Um, I guess let's take a break for a word from our sponsors. All right. Before we get into the meat of our episode. All right, and welcome back to your main entree. Yeah, main course. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are in uh, chapters 8, 9, and 10 this week. We are. Yeah, and... Lemony uh, Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, The Bad Beginning. Bad Beginning, yep. And let me tell you, it is a bad one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so just to kind of dive in before we start talking about the actual chapters, I kind of wanted to note that each of these chapters, so the subsequent eight, nine, and 10, focus pretty heavily on one of the three children. Yes. No, it's kind of broken up like that in these next three. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. I would say so. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm grasping at straws is that the phrase yeah yeah grasping at straws no but i don't think you are i think it is focusing on each chapter kind of focuses on the children even though i think the last of the three chapters has a focus on a child even though that child doesn't really have much dialogue or or, oh yeah for sure quote unquote screen time definitely definitely um what does grasping at straws mean um you're grasping at something that's difficult to get a hold of. Why? Is our straws difficult? I mean, you know, when you have sayings and then you actually think about them. Yeah. I mean, we could look it up, but that's how I, to me, that's how the phrase works is like, if you reached out to grab, you know, a peat, like, like a stone wall, or if you reached out to grasp, you know, something with a handle, it'd be easy to grab a hold of, but say you're falling and the only thing that's there are straws and you reach out and grasp them. It's going to be difficult to hold on. Oh no, you're kind of right. Okay. I I just looked it up. Okay. So you ready? Yep. Uh, Where does the phrase grasping at straws come from? It comes from a proverb in Thomas More's Dialogue of Comfort Against Tribulation from 1534. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a classic. Great so read. back in the day. Clearly. 
Thomas uh, Moore also wrote Utopia, which is a classic. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, this says a drowning man will clutch at straws. It is said that the straw in this case refers to this sort of thin reeds that grow by the side of a river. See, and that's if you're drowning and you grab at that and just rip it out. Yeah. It's hard to grab a hold of. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. You heard it here first, or maybe mm-hmm. you didn't because you already knew. So <laughs> maybe you already knew. So we heard it here first. Yes. Thank you, Thomas maybe. Moore from 1534. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay. So chapter eight. So I found that this chapter kind of focused a lot on Klaus. Oh, yeah. Agreed. In particular. Okay. So tell us what happens in this chapter. So as we left off the last chapter, we know that the Baudelaire children have been told they're going to be involved in a play um, that Count Olaf is putting on called The Magnificent Marriage. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're skeptical. Um, Klaus, I think, is the most skeptical of the three. True. Uh, because Violet, I think, is sort of trying to be the optimist, thinking maybe if they do this, everything's going to be okay going mm-hmm. forward. But Klaus is like, I'm like, Count Olaf is a nefarious person. There's got to be something nefarious afoot. Yeah. And like, so, Violet is like, you know what? Let's just, there's nothing here. Let's just go along with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Klaus stays up all night. Mm-hmm reading the books that he got from uh, Justice Strauss's library, reading boring books about the law. And it, at one point he says that at one point it says that Klaus is reading and it's very difficult. And he finds out that he is reading the same line over and over again. He's reading the same line over and over again. It kind of says that. Yeah. It's literally written like that, which is so true. So, but he sticks with it because he is determined to help out himself and his siblings. And he figures out Count Olaf's plan when he reads a book on matrimonial law. Yes. And so as a result, he confronts Count Olaf and he makes it clear. He knows what's going on. He says, you know, listen, I know that in this locality, the only thing that's required for marriage is a, judge mm-hmm. presiding over it mm-hmm. and the exchange of vows and the bride signing a piece of paper that's basically stating she is married yeah yep. all of which is going to happen in this play because we know that justice strauss is going to be in the play mm-hmm. she's going to be presiding over this quote-unquote wedding and that uh Count Olaf and Violet are supposed to say, I do. In fact, that's the only line Violet has in the whole play. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, then she's going to sign a piece of paper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so. So that's really all that needs to happen. Yeah. And so Klaus is like, okay, this is fictional, quote unquote, but all the elements are in place for this to be a legitimate wedding. Oh, and even though, because you might think Violet's underage, she's Mm -hmm. only 14. She can't get married. Well, somebody who's under 18 can get married if their legal guardian acts in, and this is a phrase we've heard often, in loco parentis, mm-hmm. Latin term. So Count Olaf has the authority in this case to mm-hmm. grant permission for Violet to be married 
mm-hmm. because he is her legal guardian. Yeah. And so all of these elements are in place for something horrible to happen, even though it's supposed to be fictitious. And so Klaus confronts Count Olaf with this matter. And Count Olaf kind of, it says his eyes shimmer or shine, uh, but yeah. not in a way that's nice. Yeah. So whenever his eyes are shining, something's going on. Yeah. He's got something evil working in his yeah. brain. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. You're so smart. You know? Yeah. Go tell your sisters. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go tell your sisters. And Klaus is kind of surprised by this. And he goes, okay, I, I will go tell my sisters. Yeah. And so he goes and wakes up Violet and explains everything to her. And at first Violet again is trying to be optimistic. Uh, but once Klaus explains everything, Violet's kind of like, oh, shoot. He's right. That's Yeah, that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And they decide that they're going to go tell Mr. Poe. Who's been a huge help. Yeah, he's <laughs> kind of a twerp. Um, and, uh, so they decide they're going to go tell him because they think that he's going to be able to put a stop to this play and put a stop to all the shenanigans that Count Olaf has planned. And then after they make that decision, they go to wake up Sonny, who's in a bedding of curtains on the floor. Yeah. And when they go to find Sonny, they realize Sonny's not there. She's not. She is missing. And so they go looking for her. And as they realize that she is gone, they see Count Olaf at the door smiling. Oh, gosh, what a creep. Yeah, just a little bit. It's the biggest creep in every way. All right, so let's dive into this chapter. Um, Okay, so Klaus spent a good amount of time reading, right? Um, And it said that he stayed up reading using a flashlight. Did you ever as a kid do that? Not with a flashlight, but in my room with a lamp. Oh, okay. Okay. What about you? Um, I know that I would definitely hide the fact that I was reading really late. I don't remember oh, yeah. if it was a flashlight or what. I would get in trouble for reading sometimes because I would stay up too late and things like that. So I get it. I know. When you got grounded sometimes as a kid, you got grounded from reading. Yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I did. That was the biggest. I know. Well, because at first, you know, it'd be like, okay, you're grounded to your room. And I'd be like, okay, sure. No problem. Mm-hmm. Read my books, you know, and then they figured it out. So, yes. Such a bummer. Darn um, To be honest with you, though, so Klaus is up reading uh, a book on marriage law, really. <laughs> yes. And I'm impressed that he stayed up to read all of that. He was focused, man. He was committed. Listen, I read textbooks at night to fall asleep. Oh, yeah. Like that's usually very dry. Not to retain anything in the slightest. Mm. No. In order to fall asleep, I think, what can I read right now that is going to be so boring that I will immediately (laughs) and he stayed awake. But I did, like you mentioned, I really enjoyed the line that it repeated it, what, three times? I think so. He read the same sentence over and over. He read the same sentence over and over. 
Like, that is so true. That's crazy when that happens where you retain zero of what. Yes. Oh, it's anybody who's ever read a book at night as you're drifting off knows exactly what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Where your brain just kind of shuts off and there's nothing else that's happening up there. Mm -hmm. So. Um, okay. So let's talk. So I, I felt, I mean, if, do you feel the same way? I, I mean, pretty obvious in this chapter, this focus is heavily on Klaus. This chapter mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he kind of becomes the hero of this chapter. He's the one that's putting in a lot of work trying to figure yes. out what's going on. Yeah. He puts in the work and he figures it out. I mean, you count Olaf of course is trying to play it off as we'll yeah. find out in upcoming chapters, but Klaus figures it all out. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And I mean, Olaf has got to be surprised. Yeah, because Olaf is clever, but at the same time, and as I, I think we'll see as we progress in this series, he also, he thinks because he's an adult, he's automatically smarter mm-hmm. than children. And he is clever. He's definitely no dummy. No, because clearly by the end of this, we see that he's steps ahead. Yes, he is several steps ahead. But I think at this point in the story, it's because also that the Baudelaire's are underestimating Count Olaf. Yeah. And as the story progresses, I think we might see that Count Olaf underestimates the Baudelaire's. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Klaus didn't want to tell Violet what he was doing, uh, because he didn't want to give her false hope. Yes. Um, so I, I felt like this was interesting because this thought also comes into play in another chapter that we're going to be talking about. Um, just kind of how they don't really let the other know because they don't want to, give them a sense of hope when it might not be there. You know, they're kind of protecting one another in that yes. way. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, but he does take the initiative. He does, which he's pretty, because of the three Baudelaire children, he's the one that's been abused. Yeah. He's the one that's been hit in the face. By, yeah, by Count Olaf. But yeah. he's still like, I'm going to confront this sucker. You know, he straight up stands up to him. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, And I mean, like you said, that takes a lot of bravery because he's already been hit by Count Olaf. Yeah. So that takes a lot of bravery. And, you know, I mean, you're the oldest child, but when you're coming from a, a younger child, when your older sibling says, oh, no, don't worry about this. It's not a big deal. Uh, you tend to kind of listen to that. Like they must know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that it's, it says a lot that Klaus is like, no, I think I'm going to follow up on this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you, by, by learning this information, I would assume that Klaus does feel like he has an upper hand against Olaf. He probably yeah. feels pretty good about himself. I think he does. I think he feels like, and it's, Maybe naive on his part because he's what Klaus is what 12? Yes, I, I think so. Um, you think when you figure out somebody's plot and you expose it that it's over and done. Oh, yeah, that's true. But 
but in real life, unfortunately, sometimes as an as a grown up, even if you figure out somebody's horrible ideas and plans, exposing them is not enough. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to stop it in its tracks. Yeah, I feel like maybe he uh, showed his cards a little bit too quickly. Mm-hmm. He got a little bit too excited with what he found and. I mean, but he's 12, you know. Do you think it would have been smarter and maybe have changed the situation if Klaus had figured it out but not told Count Olaf and then tried to sort of dismantle the plan behind the scenes? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Do you? I think you might be right. Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, because... Because when he's... Go ahead. Well, I mean, I think that in his head, in a naive way... Like you said, I know your plan, game's over. And then he maybe expected Olaf to be like, oh, man, you caught me, you mm-hmm. know? But listen, if if somebody's greedy, if it's about money, it doesn't stop there. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, by letting the, by letting the person know who's made the plan to begin with that, you know, what's going on Mm -hmm. as we've discovered Olaf is a clever person. Yeah. And so he probably starts to immediately think, okay, maybe he's already thought in his mind. Oh, what if they figure out my plan? Mm -hmm. Then I'll do this. Yeah. Which I think we kind of come to find out that that's kind of what happens. Yeah. It almost puts uh, them in more danger. Yes. So, um, okay, let's talk about our best friend Poe real quick. Okay. Uh, do you think that he would have helped them if they presented with him with all of this evidence? My uh, immediate thought is that if they had presented all this evidence to them, Poe would have dismissed it as sort of childish fantasy. I think so, too. No, I you do. Okay. Yeah. yeah, because, I mean, it's just a play, right? Right. So Poe's automatically going to think, well, it's not real. It's a play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We agree on that. Yeah. Still don't like the guy. I know. Poe's kind of this. Yeah. We're He's well. a lot of judgment on him, but you know, what are you going to do? I th- yeah. No, I think we'll find out that Poe is a well-meaning person, but he's out of his depth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he didn't. Not that anybody does, but like he didn't sign up for this. He did what he was asked to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it, this is clearly what their parents wanted. So just go with it. Yes. I'm trying to sympathize, but I still don't like him. I mean, let's the, the thing I get to about Poe is. Imagine you or I in his position. Okay. And we would think that, okay, their parents have tragically perished in this fire and they have made us the uh, sort of the executor of their will yeah, and what they want to happen with their children. And Poe seems to be a guy who I think is probably a genuinely good person. Oh, agree. Um, but he... And I think there's a lot of people like this Mm -hmm. who underestimate 
the evil that some humans are capable of. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so when he hears these stories from the Baudelaire's, they're kind, he's kind of like, no, he's not that bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, but would you say maybe um, willfully ignorant? Maybe, maybe. He might think this is something that's simple and e- a simple and easy task to accomplish, mm-hmm. and uh, the children are making it unnecessarily complicated. Yeah, yeah, true. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, you and I both in in our professions have dealt with people that we know are like, well, that that's a really jacked up human, <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah, absolutely. But I think, but uh, I think a lot of people don't maybe don't deal with that on a regular basis. Like a banker, maybe they don't deal with that. And it's unclear, well, I guess, exactly I mean, what Poe does at the bank. But I mean, I'm still surprised, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, wow. Wow. Okay. You genuinely suck Mm -hmm. perfect (laughs) and it's really sad but unfortunately that's the case sometimes yeah no very true very true i mean i guess that it's good that it's still a surprise i don't know hope maybe yeah (laughs) i don't know um okay yeah well well i'm we'll address poe later on we will what about what about our summary for chapter nine Okay, so chapter nine. So uh, this one, roughly, I felt focused on Sunny. Okay? okay. Very rough. I mean, she doesn't talk or anything. Uh, but Count Olaf mocks the children about their missing sister. Um, super rude. I don't know. Super rude. I mean, what is his problem? <laughs> I just, see, this is the thing. I'm just so surprised about how mean somebody could be. Um. He shows them that she is, uh, in fact, in a birdcage dangling from a 30-foot tower. Gosh. So super cool, man. Um, He says that he'll let her fall to the ground if that's what they want. So we're talking about murdering a child. Yes. Yeah. Um, In front of her siblings who have Uh just lost parents as well. Uh, and, but he does mercifully, (laughs) okay, I'm rolling my eyes, uh, agree to let her go after the ceremony the following evening. If all goes according to his plan. Yes. Listen, you do this, she'll be free. We'll be good to go. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Violet, of course says, yeah, Absolutely. I'll do whatever you say. Yeah, because even though she's horrified yeah. at Count Olaf's plan, she is thinking about the well-being of her sister, which yes. way to go violent. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, this is a pretty short chapter, but mm-hmm. the ending, I would say the ending of this chapter is the most important because what does Violet do? Well, it talks about, for those who don't know Violet, this might not mean that much. Mm-hmm. But if you know Violet, she ties her hair back behind her head with a ribbon. Mm-hmm. And that gesture means that the formidable intelligence in her brain is working very quickly. And she's yeah. starting to think of something to do. Yeah. Because right. she's right. a very... In- something. 
Yeah, the the Baudelaire children all have uh, genius in their own way, mm-hmm. and Violet is Violet lets everybody know basically that her very uh, formidable brain is working when she ties her hair back with a ribbon. Yes, yeah, and so that's kind of where the chapter concludes. There for yes. chapter nine. Um, okay, so let's talk about Olaf then. What, what we see from him in this chapter, okay? Okay. Um, so he's obviously, we know, we, we hate him, but he's very intelligent, okay? Yes. He, he fully understands. For, I mean, backtrack. First of all, he's steps ahead of them already. Mm-hmm. At this point, yeah. And he understands the motivations for behavior and attitude yeah. very well. Okay, so behavior needs some kind of reward to reinforce it or Mm -hmm. a punishment to avoid a behavior. Right. And he knows this. He knows this in order to manipulate the children's further actions. So reward, you do what I say, Sonny comes down. Punishment, you don't do what I say. I, she falls to the ground and dies. Yes. And he's he compares. Very, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say he compares the children to a stubborn mule. Yes. Yeah. And so that's a, yeah. The stick and the carrot. Yeah. So the, if you put a, a carrot out in front of the mule, a stubborn mule, the mule wants the reward of the carrot. So it's going to go towards the carrot. Mm-hmm. And if you have a stick behind it, that's hitting the mule, it also wants to get away from the stick. Mm-hmm. So it's going to go away from the punishment towards the reward. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, he definitely understands that. Yes. And so because of that, he is a master manipulator. Yes. He knows exactly what he's doing. Like we said, he steps ahead. He already had this planned out. I mean, he has a birdcage ready for yeah. him, you know? Yeah. Did he know this from the beginning? I mean, there's so many questions. So I think maybe at the beginning that Olaf knows that the Baudelaire's are smart. He thinks he's smarter than them, but he knows they're not stupid. Like he catches on quickly. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, he clearly has this backup plan sort of figured out before Klaus confronts him. Mm-hmm. And because when Klaus confronts him, Count Olaf does not appear to be worried in the slightest. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So he must have had this all planned out. So yeah. which, which leads to my next question. When do you think his assistant went to the room to get Sunny? It seems like, according to the story, because Count Olaf says he picks his quietest and sneakiest assistant to go do yeah. this. Yeah. So it sounds like it happens when Klaus is not in the room because he's awake and Violet is asleep. Okay. So like maybe when Klaus is talking to Olaf downstairs or. Maybe it got put into motion that quickly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, he was up all night reading, so it couldn't right. have been. Mm-hmm. So it had to have been in that very short amount of time in between, mm-hmm. which are there like, like hand signals or like, you know, Morse code. I don't know. 
Yeah, he might have had the assistant might have had orders as soon as one of the kids leaves the room. Oh. Go in and take Sun- go in and take Sunny. See this guy, you know? Mm-hmm. He's not a dummy. He's not. No. Yeah, he's unfortunately that evil and unfortunately that clever. Yeah. Absolutely. Um so let's talk about his tattoo. Okay. So Violet pays a lot of attention to Olaf's tattoo in this chapter. Uh-huh. Okay, so there's a lot of uh you know attention put on this yes. in this chapter and I feel like it it randomly does so throughout the book, you know? You hear about it, there's a tension on it, then it goes away. You don't really hear about it. And now in this chapter, this comes up again. Um, what do you what do you make of this? I think that at least on Vi- from Violet's perspective, she is she's optimistic, but she's also aware of how Count Olaf is to Mm -hmm. some extent, even though she has a more optimistic side to her than Klaus. But everywhere they've gone in this house since they've shown up, because it's on the front door. Yeah. It's on his ankle. It's in other areas around the house. Yeah. That's so it's this sort of feeling she gets that I think, even though it's not a real eye, it's almost like an all-seeing, all-knowing eye Mm. that Count Olaf has over the children. Which maybe they're becoming more aware of. Yes. Because they underestimated him at first, maybe. I think so. I think they, I think they did. I think they just, it, I, what, how do they describe it in this, in, it's either in this chapter or the chapter before. Um, it's described as he's not only like, he's not only an evil um, alcoholic buffoon, he's an evil, clever alcoholic yeah. buffoon. Yeah. So, there's more to him than perhaps they originally suspected. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, she says that she feels like the eye has been watching them since their trouble has begun. Yes. Um, you know, this just keeps coming up and there's uh, the, the pictures at the beginning of the chapter heads, you know, um, a lot of times the eye is there. So it's mm-hmm. got a, you know, foreshadowing in some way, I'm sure. Um, as somebody who has watched the entire series, I can tell you that is absolutely foreshadowed. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> there so you, go. you are, you are tracking. Okay. Well, look at me. um so of course we know by the end of this chapter that violet's problem solving and inventing abilities are in full effect yes which as our story progresses her inventing abilities are quite impressive yes i mean definitely not a forte of mine I would have to say. No, she's so yeah, she wanted to read when she was they were in uh Justice Strauss's library, she wanted to read books on mechanical engineering. Yeah. <laughs> which is not typical for a 14-year-old. No, no, that sounds incredibly boring to be honest. I know some mechanical engineers and uh I don't even think they like to read books on mechanical engineering. Yeah. Well, I mean that's the same thing as lawyers, you know, they get the big bucks because nobody else wants to read the books. So <laughs> Yeah. 
exactly engineers i guess um what was i going to say you know what i'm finding in these books is there's a lot of um very small details uh that happen in the beginning that are mentioned and uh, I, I just finished the book today, so I'm not going to give anything away, but that we have mentioned as like, oh, that's interesting. And then they come to fruition. Yes. And so you just have to pay attention, which is really intelligent um, storytelling. Yes. You know, because you pick up on that when it happens and you're like, oh, my goodness, that was said at the beginning of the book, you know, uh-huh. Um but anyway, like the like the ribbon thing, how she ties yeah. her back in a ribbon, and um, but anyway, that's kind of what I was getting at with that was that, you know, we know that she is going to be inventing because she does that. No, absolutely. Yeah. So let's get into chapter ten then, uh, okay. and this one, of course, is all about Violet. Yes. Yeah, so the summary of chapter 10 um, is that, so Violet, as we uh, mentioned, or as Kelsey mentioned, gets to be sort of the hero or heroine of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, she is clever. So she's not just somebody who's book smart. She's also somebody who can, I think, to a certain extent, read people and sort of figure out the situation, even though she is optimistic and sometimes that plays in her favor. Sometimes it's to her detriment. Um, so she gets, she acts like she's going to be taking blankets to Sunny. And she does that in order to, as we're told by the narrator, Lemony Snicket, to uh, case the area. Yes. <laughs> and the narrator lets us know to case means that if you were to rob a bank, which I hope you won't because hopefully you're a good person, but you might go to that bank the day before to take a look and see what kind of security they have, what the layout of the place is so that you can then formulate a plan. Yes, but also don't do that. (laughs) But also don't rob a bank. Now, Violet, who the narrator tells us is a law-abiding citizen, was not going to rob a bank. No, of course not. But she was taking a look to see what she needed to do to save her sister. And she uses her knowledge of mechanical engineering and inventing things to build a grappling hook with a 30 foot rope using a metal rod, which is not easy. It lets us know she gets cut a little bit while she's making this thing. Uh, But she is uh, intent on doing it. And she uses the wire from the back of a frame and cloth from old clothes to sort of manufacture this device. Yeah. And she doesn't tell Klaus because like Klaus did in chapter eight, she doesn't want to give him false hope. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. So they're still looking out for each other and trying to Mm -hmm. take care of each other. Um, and doesn't want, don't want to get each other overly excited or optimistic about what their plans are, mm-hmm. but she's going to go and try and save Sunny. Yeah. And so she goes to the forbidden tower, this 30 foot tower where Sunny is. And, uh, she is trying to throw the grappling hook up there 
to be able to scale the wall of the tower. She tries this several times and fails. In fact, at one point, the grappling hook comes down and hits her. I think it's on the shoulder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And cuts through her clothing and, and, and cuts into her skin. Yeah. And she uh, starts to cry at one point a little bit because it's very painful. Mm-hmm. But she's very determined because even after these failures, she still tries to throw it up one last time. And that last time she throws it up, that grappling hook finds purchase on something and she pulls down on it to see if it will support her weight and it's hooked. Yeah. And she is like, okay, all right, the plan's working. And she starts to scale the tower and climb up the rope. And when she gets to the top, she sees Sunny. And then she realizes that her grappling hook has indeed hooked onto something. But it's not the wall hooked onto it is the hooked hand or one of the hooked hands of one of count olaf's assistants yeah and the other hooked hand because this gentleman has two hooks is coming at her yeah you know the chapter ends i guess maybe i imagine him with one hooked hand and in this chapter i realize he had two Mm -hmm. which makes it interesting um, but which he seems at this point to be, maybe he's the one who snuck in and got sunny. I don't know. Uh, but he seems to be the hooked handed man seems to be count Olaf's sort of chief accomplice at this. Point. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I mean, he's definitely the one who is at least, I mean, we never get a name, um, but is described the most, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, so, you know, let's talk about, in this one, you know, we have we see Violet. She's the hero of this one. She's obviously um, persistent, intelligent, um, as we've talked about. Uh, but one of the interesting dynamics that I found in this one is the family dynamics of birth order. Okay, mm-hmm. so here's a quote from this chapter. As the eldest... It will always be your responsibility to look after your younger siblings. Promise us that you will always watch out for them and make sure they don't get into trouble. And so this this is from years ago, uh, their parents telling Violet this, right? Yes. Um, And because of everything that had happened, you know, Violet felt as though she had broken a promise to her parents. Yes. I, uh, you know, I'm not an, a, an eldest sibling, um, but how do you, I don't know. Is this something that you feel you are the oldest in your uh-huh. family? Um, is this how you feel being the oldest? Yeah, I think so to a certain extent. I think certainly when you're younger, um, once, you know, you all become adults Maybe you kind of, maybe that kind of goes away a little bit. Like, okay, your siblings are adults too. They can make their own choices and do their own thing. Yeah. But even then when maybe they fall short or fall into trouble, you feel somehow a little responsible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Particularly if, uh, because I have had a, a parent pass away. My father passed away when I was much younger than I am now. Mm -hmm. Um, You almost feel like you have that responsibility. Like yeah. it's up to you now to kind to of sort fill, of fill that gap. 
yeah, to take yeah. that on and to make sure you're looking after your younger siblings. Mm-hmm. But as a, a younger person, as a teenager, as a child, um, even though you have that uh, that feeling and that expectation of yourself, you're kind of ill-equipped to handle it. Yeah, yeah. And and don't, I mean, she's 14, correct? Yes. Um. Yeah, like you said, not equipped to handle it. Um, and I don't, I don't think that her parents meant it in that way, you know, like on that deep of a level to no. where she should feel guilty. Right. In breaking that promise, you know. Um, but yeah, I guess as a middle child, I don't feel any responsibility for any of my siblings. <laughs> so, Not even for your younger siblings? Uh, no, they can, uh, they can figure it out. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, I just think as the oldest child, you're the one who, like, your parents, number one, you're a little bit of an experiment. Because you're the first. That's true. Yeah. And so your parents are kind of figuring it out as they go. They're kind Um, of harder on you almost, correct? They are usually. Usually I I think that's true that usually the parents are a little bit more strict with the oldest sibling than they are with the younger ones. Mm -hmm. And um, where was I going with this? Um, I was just going to say, I think that you are instilled with a sense of expectation mm-hmm. and you get frustrated with the younger siblings too. When they fail, like you kind of look at them, like, are you dumb? If you just did this and this mom and dad, like, you know, like, be listen, fine. I've been here. Come on. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so in some ways you kind of feel a responsibility in the sense that, well, maybe I didn't teach them as well as I should yeah. have, like yeah. show them the ropes like I should have. You well, know what yeah. I mean? And kind of just that responsibility over them. I mean, I, I guess I kind of see this with my children. So I have two and my eldest daughter definitely looks after my son, like a mother hen almost. Um, Big time. She definitely make sure everything is fair for him. Um, yes. I mean, even if she gets something like a candy from somebody and her, like, for example, her teacher will tell me, Oh, Charlotte or my, you know, my daughter got a candy and she'll go, well, can I have another one for my brother so that it's fair for him? Right. You know, and stuff like that. I'm like, dang, he would get a candy and he would not even think twice about it, you know? Yes. Oh, yeah. And I was going to say, um, like, when your kids have stayed the night over at mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I's home, um, when your daughter, when your oldest daughter is over there by herself, she's much more relaxed. Yeah. Much more laid back. I'm sure. Yeah. And she is... She's some, she is a personality that you and I kind of struggle to identify with a little bit. She's very type A. Yes, she is. Yeah. Um, and so, but when she's over there by herself, she's, you know, she's still type A, she's still who she is, but she's a little bit more relaxed when Mm -hmm. her younger sibling is over there with her. All of a sudden she's much more intense. She wants to make sure he's looked after Yeah, that, like you said, everything is fair. Yeah. And it's just a different dynamic and, and rules, rules, rules. 
Oh, yes. Followed. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but I, I do feel as a parent, I am guilty of this because there are times where she'll do something um, and I will tell her, you know, your brother looks looks up to you and you're an example, yes. which I mean, it is true, but you don't want to put that pressure either, you know? Yeah. And I think it depends on the personality type. Like your daughter is your oldest is one who will, if like a task is given to her, mm-hmm. she is going to see it through to the bitter end. Oh, to like just the furthest unnecessary extent. Yes. <laughs> And so she is going to fulfill it and nobody can tell her otherwise. Like, this is what my mom and dad told me. Mm -hmm. So this is what's going to happen. Whereas younger children, like, you know, my youngest and, and your youngest are more like, like, whatever, like, you know, we're going to do what we're going to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah. I just think that it's interesting. I mean, your, your oldest is definitely similar. He's a type would, A. Yeah. yeah, for sure. He's not maybe as intense as yours, but it's it's there for sure. He's, he's very protective of his younger siblings, though. He's very protective of his younger siblings. And I will say this, too. Um, when it comes to disciplining our children, for our oldest, all we have to do is let him know that we're disappointed. And yeah. that is yeah. and that will complete break. an utter devastation that will break him oh my gosh you don't even have to and i'm not saying that we never do this but like sometimes you don't even have to ground them just the fact that they know or feel that they have been a disappointment <laughs> devastates them that would not even that would not even phase me in the slightest <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean so, were you that way like if huh? your parents were i was that way as a child oh yeah for really? sure really oh mm-hmm. man i'd be like if I knew that I disappointed my parents, it ruined my day. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not that. Whereas my brother and my sister, my younger brother and sister, like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, like, what's they'll now? just move on. Yeah, <laughs> they'll just move on. Do you have anything interesting to say? Or, <laughs> yeah, okay, whoop de doo. Okay, you're mad. Good. So luck. I'm guessing I'm grounded in my room. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> exactly. Figlets, don't take note of this. Be respectful to your parents. Oh, absolutely. It's just, it's interesting, the dynamic <laughs> no, it's that funny. occurs. Yeah. That's the thing. Just, you know, birth order and those dynamics, that, that is definitely a thing. Absolutely. So I have, a, I have a question, though, for you and for your, uh, regarding your husband, because he's a twin. Yes. Your husband is the oldest twin by several minutes. Yeah. Do you feel like he has more of a personality of an oldest child and his younger twin is more middle or younger child, or do they have pretty similar personalities? Um, I would definitely say, I mean, it's definitely way different as adults. Like, you you know, uh, I met him in college and I would say at that point it was definitely an older like older sibling personality. Uh, Definitely not. Okay. Middle. He's never been middle. That's not how he's ever acted. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. He's a, your husband is a rule follower. Yes. For I'm, sure. very, I'm very bizarre to him in nature. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> but his younger brother is a little bit more rebellious, not as concerned about that. Maybe not rebellious uh, as in like a horrible person, but you know what? No, I mean. I mean, like not now, like I said, but definitely, uh, we were more kindred spirits in college. I would say. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. At least from what I perceived. Yeah. No, I got you. Yeah. Um, yeah. My husband was always like the, the rule follower, the clean one. He did the dishes. He. <laughs> I think, Very particular. I yeah. think he like set up chore schedules or something for his roommates and stuff. <laughs> so. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. So, yep, definitely. Yeah. I know. It's always so interesting to learn about those kinds of dynamics, I guess. Very interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. Cause they're all so different. Um, but are very I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about chapter 10? Uh, no, I don't think so. Count Olaf is a jerk. I mean, we're very close to the end here. And at this point, I'm like, what is possibly going to happen in three more chapters? You don't see a whole lot of uh, happiness at the end of this rainbow at this point in time. No. I mean, there's three more chapters and they're very short chapters. Yes. So, you know. But this is a series of unfortunate events. That's true. I mean, I guess, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, where the resolution is coming, but is there's no, there's no resolution. I don't know. Right. There's not because it's unfortunate. So, but they have to, he has to make you keep reading, I guess. I mean, there's how many more books? 12. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot to deal with. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, do you have anything else to add for these chapters? No, I think that's it. You? I think that's all. All right. Well, uh, to continue the journey on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at the fig pod. Uh, we have our fancy new logo up there. Uh, email us all of your thoughts at the fig pod at gmail.com. And of course, buy our merch, our new merch at T public. You could find that link, um, on our Instagram and our bio. And please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe or follow so that you never miss another episode of the Fantasy in General Podcast. See you next week. See you next week.